and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Ready? Stacey Daniel, I am beyond excited to hear all about your life and your business, but she's the boss chat. So thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest. Thanks, Jules. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, let's get started because I think everyone will be very excited to hear what you do. What do you do, Stacey? What do I do? Well, I do lots of things, Jules. I have... (laughs) (laughs) What's your main thing? My main thing that I do is I help people who sit on boards and committees. So the people who are in that space, who are making decisions, who are having to process lots of different information, work with others to obviously formulate um, decisions that will have not just a short-term impact but also a long-term impact. So sometimes I work with them individually Sometimes I work with them collectively. So it's sort of in a bit of a, you know, it might be a facilitation capacity or it might be a training capacity or a coaching capacity, but equipping them with really the the, uh, strategies, the solutions and the skills to be able to get the best out of what their role and responsibility is. Wow. And you forgot to mention what the name of your business is. Oh, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So my business is Board Presence. And so that in in a nutshell for me actually really captures the essence, shall we say, of uh, the variety of work that I do in terms of helping people in that space. Yeah, I love it. So the next big question is why? Why are you doing it? Why? Why did you set it up in the first place? Why, why, why? Yeah, look, I had a really, I've had a really interesting career journey and uh, I spent some time, particularly as a bit of a young lady, shall we say, which was probably at a time where there really weren't a lot of young people um, and a lot of females sitting on boards. And I spent some time on some statutory authority boards um, in Victoria and also some of my local community um, committees. And what I really came to understand was that there's people who really need help in this space. They don't really necessarily understand their role. Um, They perhaps don't appreciate the big picture. They struggle to understand where other people are coming from. And I got to a point in my own journey as somebody sitting on those boards, observing others, observing other boards who uh, and, and people around me that I sort of thought, you know what, I've got a really great background in sustainability I have an engineering background, I'm solutions-based, and I now understand a lot about governance and strategy and risk. And I thought, you know, I can really see how I could help people. And I sort of got to a point where I thought, you know what, how, how good would it be if I could help more boards and not just the ones that I'm sitting on. So that was really where one day I was sitting at the kitchen table and I went, oh. I was going to say, what was the tipping point or what was the light bulb moment? Go yeah. on, tell me. It's well, obviously this kitchen table moment. Yeah, these roles were really I did when the kids were quite young. So I've got a couple of children and I was involved in my board work 
quite early on while we were a young family. And it was right. looking at that next stage of, you know, where, what, how am I going to really add value and use my potential? And it was that time just sitting at the kitchen window and actually not, where, not dissimilar to where I'm sitting right now, looking out the window going, I really want to help people on boards. I really want to help boards make some really great decisions that will have some great impact in the future. Yeah. Some really and positive of, impact. Yes, and of course I have a, a particular passion, and I'm sure you do as well, that we want to get more women on board. So they need to understand uh, what's involved and not to be intimidated if we're going to have people making decisions about our lives that are reflecting female as well as male point of views. Absolutely. And it's funny you say that, Jules, because you know what? And what? I'll hold it up to flash to you, my book, Oh, yes, tell everyone about your book. You should have said you're an author as well. Because around that time, I had had a lot of women say to me, how do you get on a board? I really want to get on a board. And, you know, I sort of felt this. I'm a bit of a natural educator and I really love imparting knowledge and information. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, I could really take people on that journey and um, and especially women from a woman's point of view about what it is like and what they do need to understand because sometimes yeah. there's a bit of a mismatch, as you say, you know, what what's it all about? And so I wrote this book called um, Fly to the Boardroom, Your Essential Guide to Getting on a Board. So it took me a few years to do that, but basically what it was, it, the aim of it was to really impart that information, take people on the journey to understand what the space is all about and what they need to do and and to have that confidence in themselves to know that they can put themselves forward. They have, you know... The, yeah, and, that's the thing, yeah. And, and not only can, can they put themselves forward, they should be putting themselves forward because we... At the moment in Australia, have well, and around the world, but we've got these boards that are dominated by men when they're making decisions for their customers, half of whom are female, and yet there isn't any female input. So, so I'm, I'm, and then my other thing, personally, that I'm like is I don't want to see. I think it's really unfair to just have one woman on a board. I think yeah. that legally or whatever, they need to bring in a law that says you've got to have at least two, because yeah. if you're there on your own being bullied by eleven other guys. You're not really going to get your voice across and, and in, in the same way or most of the time, I guess. That's right. And there can be a lot of tokenistic appointments. So what is the point of that? So Yeah, that exactly. A, and that's a little bit of my mission too. So board diversity um, and, like I say, writing the book was, was about trying to reach people, women plus other um, well, yes, the other thing is dis dis disability. 20% of our population is disabled. And I would hazard a guess that if you went around all the boards for every place in Australia, we would be nowhere near 20% of them with a, a disabled person on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was sort of, uh, I guess, begin telling my story because I was certainly quite young. Uh, I was a young yeah, mother. Yeah, I, I was actually even pregnant, story. Jules, on my first board appointment. <laughs> So, you know, and I'm quite short as well. So, you know, there's a few things when you talk about diversity that I sort of represent. I thought, well, if I can do it, then surely others can do it. And I want to inspire them. I want to equip them with yep. the knowledge and the skills and for, to help them really understand they can do this as well. 
and to try and work on that greater representation from all sorts of sectors. Well, that's right. I mean, I don't know why I was just saying women in disability because, of course, we've got people of colour. Yeah. Um, we've certainly got different ethnic and religious, um, you know, and, and really, I mean, you know, white Anglo-Saxon people in Australia would be, I would have thought, um, not not a minority, but certainly, you know, not reflective of the whole society anymore. So uh, really important. Anyway, I'm waffling on. I want to hear about your story. So we'll get back and we can, and I'm sure along the way we'll have some conversations around boards anyway, because I know I was on a board for my local community um, and I absolutely hated it. So Yeah. <laughs> And, do you know, they're the sort of stories that I don't want to hear about. I want to hear that people had a great time because then they will come back and they will contribute more and more positively. Absolutely. And if I'd had a better experience, I'd certainly be more interested in it. Yeah. But anyway, this is not about me. This is about you. So let's start, Stacey, with where did you grow up? Uh, Do you have brothers and sisters? What did your parents do? And did you like school? (laughs) <laughs> oh, look, gee, there's so much right in that, that Jules. Way, where do we, where do I almost begin? So, look, I grew up in uh, Melbourne uh, yep. in, in Australia and uh, I was an only child for many years until my oh. half-sister was born when I was a teenager. So that oh, was wow. um, interesting. Um, yeah. At that point, it put off any motherly instincts that I had for a while. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I was 15, what? actually, when my sister yeah, was right. born. But yeah, uh, we we are our only siblings, uh, and it's uh, it's wonderful. She's you know the age gap just um, reduces over time. As you yeah. get older, yeah. That's yeah, totally. right. That's okay, right. Okay, so you grew up. So you grew up in this family. What did your parents do? My parents. My mum was a bookkeeper, and she supported the family business. Oh and, wow! Uh, and then uh, my father. He was a so. Probably to wind it back a little bit, my parents actually separated when I was four and I did actually spend a lot of time in Western Australia because my um, natural father moved over there. So I spent a lot of time flying between uh, Melbourne and Perth and spent a lot of holidays over there. So great place to, to enjoy. Um, yeah. So my mum had originally supported my dad in his business and then my stepfather in, in his business. So my natural father... He was a underground, uh, sorry, an underwater video videographer, I should say, I guess. He was okay. involved in a lot of underwater video systems. God, and how so, interesting is that? That's really out there. So he worked <laughs> on a lot of oil and gas projects. So here in Victoria, and then he took that um, opportunity over uh, to Western Australia. Right. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so uh, grew up in a family like that um, and, and obviously we're sort of a bit splitting your time between Melbourne and Perth. Where did you go to school and did you like school? Well, not where, as in what city, um, but also, did you like school? Were you a, you know, good student? I really enjoyed school, uh, I guess, because uh, I think because of all that it brings, you know, it's sociable, it's um, sporting, it's academic, uh, you know, and it's really a place where you can sort of find yourself, I guess. Um, I was probably... Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So, 
Uh, but did you do well academically? Did you go through to year 12? I did. I went through to yep. year 12, but uh, I wouldn't say I was the, the um, smartest uh, cookie in the uh, in the jar. But, uh, <laughs> look, I got through. Um, I was really bad at English, Jules. So uh, it's quite right. funny that I wrote a book. It was something I always <laughs> wanted to do, but I was really bad at English. Well, and- I mean, you know, part of the reason why I do this um, and interview people about their lives. So I think it's really important for people to know that if you're not a brainiac at school or you're, you know, not super smart, that you still could end up on boards and running your own company and writing books. And yeah. so it's very inspiring. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's. I've got to say I was probably more maths and science and it's funny because that then led me to university but yep. into engineering. And Yeah, which is great. You must have been one of very few women. I would have thought in the course. Yeah, there was five of us out of, I think it was 20 odd, maybe even a few more. So, yes, it was was, uh, heavy weight. That's not bad, actually. 25% is still better than I would have thought. So, where did you, did you, you did that in Melbourne? I did. I went to RMIT. and so did I. Hi. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place. Um, it is. I so I guess back in the and you would appreciate this, but RMIT was very uh, I think was originally a TAFE, so it was sort of that practical learning. Yes. And as uh, so, my a big part of me too was um, the natural environment, and we used to spend a lot of time um, out uh, doing outdoor activities growing up. So. For me, the the natural environment, I just felt at home with. So when I was looking around for what I wanted to do, because I actually had no idea towards the end of year 12, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I went to Open Days, went to RMIT, and I saw this sign and it said geological engineering. And it was just (laughs) like this, ah, moment. (laughs) (laughs) And it was quite amazing because I think it was that natural resources element, but I actually sort of really didn't know what engineering was all about. So I wasn't aspiring to necessarily be an engineer, but it was just that once I got talking to the lecturers there, it was like, oh, yeah, that seems like it could be cool. Yeah, and uh, and it was sort of closely affiliated with um, environmental engineering there as well, and so right. what I um, uh, so yeah, I ended up um, applying to that and I got in and into that course, and where I steered it was actually to environmental engineering, and that was really where a lot of my passion came out. Was can, can I just ask very quickly what? What is environmental engineer? What sort of stuff do environmental engineers do? So they look at, they might assess the impact of infrastructure. Oh, okay. uh, so let's say there's a big industrial plant being um, it, proposed to be built in a certain location. Then an environmental engineer will go and assess the impact. So it oh, would like say, that. okay, uh, if you're going to do that here, then what the sort of impact on not just the ground or the water, but also on the local community. And that and was some- wildlife, you know, because you often hear about, um, I guess, you know, somebody's going to build a big hotel and then they can't because there's some rare marsupial that nests in that area or something. That's right. So is is yeah. it that stuff as well? 
It is, it is. Right. So it's probably that's probably a little bit of environmental science. But when you okay. sort of start talking more about engineering, then what you're sort of getting into it also is, uh, let's say, landfill. Yeah. You know, where as much as we we don't like that concept, but we have to dispose of rubbish somewhere. So an environmental engineer might actually design that uh, that compound, shall we say, whereby the materials will go into. So they'll make sure that the the uh, the liquid and all of the bits and pieces won't actually affect the environment. Or the groundwater or whatever groundwater. it is that people don't hear about. That's right, right. Fascinating. Okay, so you went ahead and qualified as an – did you finish as an environmental engineer? So it was actually geological engineering, geological. but I, you could say I minored in environmental engineering. And so then I actually ended up in Western Australia. So my dad was over there – and I had met this, uh, uh, I'll call him a gentleman, uh, at university and he was also heading to Western Australia. So together <laughs> we went. Yes. <laughs> All arrows pointing towards WA at that stage. <laughs> and ended up working in Kalgoorlie. Right. And Again, if you've ever been to Kalgoorlie. No, I haven't been to WA. <laughs> Oh, Jules. I know. Well, it's a bit hard to get there at the moment. Or next year. But right, but it's the mining town, isn't it? It is. It is. And as an environmental, I guess, specialist, um, it sort of was something that I didn't know how it sat with me because, you know, here we are digging up the earth. But yet we use these materials in a lot of different ways. So I had a bit of an internal ethical sort of conflict with that. But having been a recent recent graduate, then there was, uh, I guess, everybody from our course tended to go over to Western Australia for work. And as, yes, all arrows pointing to WA. But it was a great opportunity to... I guess get a little bit submerged into the uh, that the work of a geotechnical engineer and environmental, and really sort of I guess get kicked off with your career as well and learn a lot. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Great. Okay. So, how long were you in Kalgoorlie for? Four years. Oh, oh, a decent amount of time. It was. It, um, you know, it's the classic, oh, we'll go there for a couple of years and then we'll go and do blah, 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 and four years later, you know, you're still there because time flies when you're having fun. Uh, yes, but that and was, I, I always remember when I was younger thinking, gee, you become a specialist at something without even realising, you know, you just, you know, when you're 25 and you've done four or five years somewhere, you kind of go, oh, my God, I'm a specialist and I never thought I would be. So what was and then the you become a generalist. Yes. <laughs> so what happened after that, after you left there? Where, why did you leave and where did you go? So we returned back to Melbourne. Um, okay. I had With spent, the same as a, boyfriend, same gentleman. I, yes, yes, the same yeah. gentleman. Right. And so he was sort of steering more on the civil engineering side of things. And so we returned back to Melbourne because, I guess, W, particularly Kalgoorlie, as you could imagine, is very different climate-wise to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And so we really missed the cooler weather. We really missed a bit of the rain. I particularly missed the snow. 
and some hills, the greenery, and all of the lovely things, as well as our family and our friends. Right. Um, because back then, obviously, didn't have a whole lot of online communications, so it was very remote. Yes. So yes. becoming quite homesick. Uh, was something that happened whilst I was over there and, and really wanted to, to get back home. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So how old were you at that stage? So we're about 24, 26. something like that? 26. 26, yeah. All right. So yeah. came back and what happened next? What happened next was that I it was sort of tough times trying to get a job uh, back home and that transferability of skills, whilst it was okay, it was... A bit challenging because economically in Melbourne and Victoria, things were a bit dicey at that point. So I ended up applying for a job in uh, local government, actually. And it was – so this is how, how – Yeah, this is um, the beginning of the board stuff, I'm guessing. A little bit, yeah, oh, because no. – okay, go on. A little bit. Uh, but what uh, – I had applied for a job and it was actually only a part-time job, so that tells you how um, – how difficult it was to try and find jobs at that day, that yeah. stage. Anyhow, I ended up in this role and it became a full-time role. And it was to do with environmental planning so I could use my environmental skills and it was where I could be um, a little bit of the educator because I got to get nice. out into the community and teach them about the environment and what it means and how you run businesses within the environment and don't damage oh, wow. the environment. And I then, as you often do, you work your way into a different role or, you know, you're asked (laughs) to do something else. And I ended up then becoming more involved in town planning and more strategic planning. And this was really interesting because I hadn't, it's not something I considered or hadn't planned, but I really enjoyed it. And, but it probably took me into that community and economic development space, which I did enjoy. And right. being able to balance it out with, you know, what's, what's the community think? What are their needs? Who are the stakeholders? And that is really the time where I, I did develop a lot of uh, skills around stakeholder engagement and relations and, and things even, that even are spe- very even, important. Yes, and I'd also say even speaking that language that, you learn in government. I mean, I hear, you know, when I work with government people, there's just a more, I don't know, corporate kind of governancey kind of, I don't know, words that they choose, <laughs> which, yeah, is, which is very different to my life as an entrepreneur, let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, learning the lingo in any any sector, I think, is uh, is an interesting one. But uh, so yeah, I ended up working quite closely with the state government as well on some projects okay. as well. So I really got to understand politics. Yes, I really got to understand a lot of the uh, dynamics, which uh, when you're talking about the built environment and infrastructure. Uh, you know, people's use of different types of infrastructure. It was it was a, a journey which, as I said before, I didn't quite expect, but it took me into a new space which was new for many people called place management. Oh, what's that? And, and this is where you're talking about, uh, you know, what's Melbourne like as a destination perhaps as a CBD or what's oh. a shopping centre and, you know, how do you use these spaces? 
So town planning is about how you use spaces and allocate spaces for certain uses. And place management is really that on a smaller scale. So it will be about where people walk or move and how they use spaces, how they interact, not just together but with the spaces and how you might uh, create these places as destinations from a marketing point of view. So it was really interesting. interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I can imagine. So as an environmental or, uh, you know, kind of you could also say bordering civil engineer, it really allowed me to sort of join the dots together a little bit from being involved in ground, you know, shall we say the rocks from my geological background into that built environment of the the different types of materials with, with infrastructure to the people and the natural environment. So, you know, I, I really, I've really enjoyed my journey. And what I then did was I, I became a mum. and right, because that, of course, changes everything, doesn't it? So this is towards the end of everything. the... Towards the end of the government role, is this right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so then I you was, became a mum. And what did you do? Did you work through or did you take some time off? I actually, I did a bit of both. So for my first, I worked a little bit and then I ended up um, taking time. I said, you know what, I've got two kids now, I'm going to be mum. And I really prioritised that time. And, you know, the more, you know, you become a parent and the more people talk to you about you, like, oh, just take that time, it goes so fast. And I thought, you know, I really don't want to regret trying to, you know, really balance and struggle with it. So I took that time and not long after I'd had my second child, I saw this advert and this was about applying for board roles. And I'm like, oh, I reckon I could really uh, value add to that. Yeah. Um, Actually, I I should say, Jules, the, the idea had come up beforehand about boards and I had discussed it with a mentor and he said, well, you know, yes, that's something you you can sort of do. And I had, I, I sort of jumped the gun before, but um, I actually had had a, a previous role when I was in local government with a peak industry body. But I guess I didn't really think of it as too serious um, from the point of view of it being the beginning of a career because that was not how I was thinking. I was thinking here's a great way that I can value add to the profession and I can help with networking and training and things like that for those in the sector. But it wasn't until this point that I sort of went, oh, wow, here's a board role that I I could really contribute to and it was for the Alpine Resorts in Victoria. Yes. And it was at that point I I sort of went, yeah, well, this could be, this is probably maybe a, a new pathway of things that I really hadn't considered. So that was sort of the point at which I see that as the, the pivotal time of, of going down that journey. Right. Okay. So um, that got you on your first board, presumably. So what happened next? So I applied and I got involved with Alpine Resorts, as I said, and this was actually for Falls Creek. Oh, my God, that is so weird. What year was that? 
roughly Ooh. 2000-ish? Uh, two, no, 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 not that early, no. This oh, was because no, uh, I did a whole lot of work with them in 2000. I remember driving up uh, the mountain pregnant to go up and have strategy <laughs> sessions with them. I, I ended up having to stop the car and throw up because I get car sick anyway. <laughs> And when I'm pregnant, I get motion sickness much worse. Oh, but anyway, that, that doesn't matter. No, no, okay, so you were doing Falls Creek. I was a frequent visitor there uh, yep. and that was one of the places that I'd spent a lot of time actually as a child learning how to ski and it was the one place that I really missed when I was over in WA. Oh, okay. So it is actually quite amazing that when I threw my hat in the ring because you've got all the different alpine resorts, that I that, that actually ended up at, yes. And, See, that's uh, the so universe. Was, it was all meant to be and it was supposed to lead you on this path to helping others become on boards. So yeah. I love it. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I don't normally get all woo-woo like that, but there you go. So <laughs> 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 tell me what that was like and what happened after that. Oh, look, that was fabulous. I was there for six years. So you asked me about a date. So it was actually 2010. Okay. until about 2016. So I had two terms. It's a ministerial appointment uh, wow. from the minister. Congratulations, Stacey. Thank you. Yeah, so that's, that's I really enjoy going because, again, I love that natural environment and uh, the fact that I felt I could really value add with my engineering for geotechnical, also the environmental, but also understanding I could bring all of that local government experience that I had in community development, economic development, and really be able to, um, and from a user as well, as, a, as somebody who uses an alpine resort, be able to really contribute to what does this look like? Yeah. Not just tomorrow uh, or next year, next season, but, you know, in another 10, 20 years' time, what is going to be, you know, what's his place going to be like and how's it going to be um, yes. utilised? And, of course, you never, ever could have imagined that there would be two whole years where people couldn't get onto the mountain because yeah. they were locked down. But, anyway, I, I hate to think how they've been That's coping. Yeah, yeah, it's so, certainly okay, very So tough. you were there till 2016. What, um, what made you leave and where did you go next? So the there were, uh, so as I said, there were fixed terms, so you're appointed for three odd years. Um, but what I then did was um, that certainly that travelling up there from Melbourne, there was a five-hour trip including a stop, and I sort of got to a point where um, I felt like, okay, I've contributed, maybe it's, you know, somebody else can perhaps right. have the opportunity to step in. Okay. Um, but also there was the opportunity for me to take a, a sideways step and I had applied for a similar role but it was what with what was called the Alpine Resorts Coordinating Council and that was another statutory um uh, organization which was responsible for a lot of the resort uh, all of their resorts right. in Victoria and supporting them as a as as the industry I guess um, for alpine resorts right okay so um, you may, so you got onto that board was that a I, I mean and the other thing that I'd really like to talk to you about which is part of this is were you being paid for all these board roles? And what are your thoughts on women, well, not just women, anyone, the voluntary boards, which I think a lot of people get opportunities to go on, but do we get the opportunities for those paid board roles as well? 
So, so yes, my Dave, first question anyway to go back is, were you being paid for these board roles? So the statutory ones, yes. Okay. Yes. For the others, no. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So the statutory authorities are all classified uh, according to their size and their revenue and, <clears throat> excuse me, and there is a pay uh, associated or a scaled pay amount depending on the size of the organisation. Okay. And so... Yeah, the, and the expenses were also um, covered with that. Uh, in terms of your question around, I guess, more generally. Your opinion, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think that um, roles should be paid. So even, um, you know, other smaller not-for-profits, for example, I think there needs to be a an allowance within the the, you know, a line item in every budget that says, you know, director's fees. I think because, so too. Because people obviously put their heart and soul into it. They bring a lot of uh, knowledge and experience and insight and they're contributing their time. And, and it's, it's often out of hours time as well. It's often, you know, on an evening or a weekend or, you know, at a time when it should be your personal time and you're making this effort. I agree with you. And I also right. think it, it makes them a little bit more accountable in some ways if if people are being paid. I don't know. It's, I think it's there's still a, a as, as a director, because you obviously have legal obligations, you you know, there is a lot of accountability there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, you are taking on that. And I think that, you know, to acknowledge your effort and your your uh, what you're taking on in, in its entirety should be recognised. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility. And I think that there, there are, you know, there, there's... Uh, a bit of exploitation in there um, sometimes, but there are people who are willing to allocate their their volunteers' yeah, time. So every case is different, but I think as a rule of thumb, I, I don't think it should be treated any differently to a job because that's what it is at the end of the day. It's it's a job and, you know, you should be rewarded for that. Yeah, and you, and you are pretty much responsible uh, if you're on a board, uh, you know, in a lot of cases for a lot of outcomes that will affect a lot of people and have money attached to them. So even if it's a That's nominal right. amount, there should be something that acknowledges, you know, this is something that we appreciate. So, um, okay, so we, we've got ourselves up to, I'm guessing, are we sort of a couple of years ago now? Where So when you, you finished with the Alpine people, what happened next? I did, I did. Well, the thing that I also was involved in whilst I was on the Alpine resorts was I was actually involved in another statutory authority for the Victorian, that was called the Victorian Coastal Council. So its responsibility was for the... The coast, yeah. So all of Victoria's coastline and about sort of informing state policy and uh, I guess stakeholders and things like that as well for Crown Land. So I did these concurrently and then, yes, I got to that sort of point where I – it was similar timing, I guess, where I wrapped up both of those board experiences and I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to not just – contribute to one or two boards, I'm actually going to, you know, put myself out there as board presence and I'm going to help a number of boards at once and I'm going to write this book. 
So that's the journey of, of how right. I got to where I am now. Well, that is absolutely amazing. And before we get, because I don't want to forget, where can people buy the book from? So boardpresence.com.au and you can go on there, follow the links and uh, if you order through me, then I can sign it, personally Mm. sign your copy and send that to you. Uh, But there is also a a downloadable uh, version through Google. Oh, brilliant. Okay, that's really good. So I think there's a lot of women who will be listening to this that that are very interested in at least exploring what's involved in being on boards and and your book would be a really good place for them to start. So well done for writing it. Thank you. And that's it. There's just so much to it. And, you know, it's it's like all sorts of other uh, business sectors. There's nothing that's particularly consistent between, you know, people say what sizes are boards? And they sort of expect me to say, oh, well, they have, you know, five people or seven people. It's not. It's different right across all industries, all sectors, and uh, it's, it's yeah, there's a lot of variables. So yeah. that's what yeah. I sort of start to outline in my book so that, you know, it can stimulate a few new questions and help get it clear in people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, now I'm just going to rattle through a few extra questions because I don't think we have too much time left, but I'm sure. interested to know, firstly, along your career journey, particularly I'm really interested actually with the um, engineering as well as everything else, have you had any women that stand out to you that have helped you in your career that you want to tell us about? Oh, I have. <laughs> I probably won't name them because they might be a bit embarrassed, but okay. uh, when I was when I was younger, I had a, a uh, somebody who particular particularly guided me. Uh, and probably more recently, I've uh, since I've started my business, I have my regular catch-ups with um, different people, and they're not just necessarily engineering, of course. They're right across different sectors. Yes, and, I bet. Um, you know, and in some cases having some really fabulous reciprocal sort of relationships of people catching up where, you know, what I've got to offer to them and they've got something to offer to me and we just have some amazing conversations. Oh, I and love to hear I that. love those, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I think it's really important because we don't really hear about women in business that much that if possible we do shout-outs for people so that we, you know, acknowledge that they've made a difference in our lives. Yeah, um, Okay, and uh, look, just a quick one. I don't know, you haven't had your business uh, business for too long, but there may have been along the way a moment or two, which I call pivotal moments, (laughs) even though we hate that word these days, but where maybe something has happened and at the time you think, God, this is a disaster, and you look back later and you go, well, actually it sent me in a whole new direction I'm really glad that it did. Have you had any moments like that in terms of running your own business? Yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the big things that I've found is working with some people um, in different ways. You know, my whole outlook is real and my purpose is really to create the best for someone else. Yeah. And, you know, you can't provide a level of support which is – as good as it can be if they're not honest with you. And I've had, um, I guess, particular pivotal moment where I came to learn that a particular client was not 
cl- not, not not clear, but they were not honest. Right. And so, therefore, I couldn't. I was going along the, the lines of what I understood the situation to be and working to what right. I knew. Yes, if you're not armed with all the and knowledge, then, then how no, can you? Yeah. No. And then, uh, you know, you, you're sort of going along with what you know and, and advising in that capacity. And then it came out uh, that, you know, that, that there was misinformation and there was, and I thought, but but why why did I not understand everything? This is all confidential, um, but you know I can't provide the level of support to really benefit you if you don't provide army you don't with all that everything. I need. Yeah. So, so what? what so, in terms of learning, what is the solution? What what have you put in place, or how did that change your business? Well, I guess the thing is, I, I, I'd done everything that I thought was possible, which is, you know, very consultative. I ask questions, and you know, I, from that point of view, I'm certainly not changing anything. Um, but I think that whole question of why did I have to go through that, yeah. and it was a learning to sort of maybe perhaps have the eyes open a bit more, and maybe even ask more questions. To really yeah, try and draw it out, and to to really, um, you know, ensure that that you are being equipped with all the information that you need. Um, so probably really asking more questions was the learning uh, that well, I got out of that. And it's also, I guess, and and it's a horrible thing really to have to admit to in some ways, but it's it's losing that immediate trust like I always used to trust people yeah. so I take people at face value I believe what they tell me unless my gut's telling me that they're a dodgy person but otherwise yeah. you're kind of going okay I believe what you tell me and then it, and it takes age and experience to realize that not everybody is the same as that and that really we should yeah. have yep. that little question inside our heads that says is this person really telling me the truth? Should I trust them yet or do we need a bit of time together before I really trust them? So it is a big learning, yeah. I think, when you run your own business. But, of course, the flip side of it is it's your business. If you don't like them, you can tell them to shove off. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have to work with people you don't like when it's your own business, which was yeah. another big learning for me, I think. It took me probably about five or six years of running my business before I fired someone and I felt sick over that, a client. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then my business partner at the time said, why are we doing this if it isn't to work with the people that give us joy that we, you know, we know we can help? So Yeah. And, look, that gut instinct is something that I often um, listen to and yeah, I actually good. talk about that in my book quite a bit Yeah. Uh, and because, uh, you know, we all know Simon Sinek and the why, but what he connects that to is a lot of that gut feeling as well. And, you know, scientifically it's actually proven as well that um, that, that it can support, uh, you know, that decision. And so, yeah, I, I fully agree with you there, Jules. Yeah, I think so. Actually, there is a wonderful woman that I have interviewed, if anyone is listening or if you want to um, listen to it, Stacey, called Jane Mara, and she set up her whole business and has written books all about intuition, but she's done ah. a lot of research. And interestingly, a lot of women's um, gut instinct is is correct. Yes, you know, we yes. are very intuitive. We do understand if something's a bit wrong. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, next question is a question I like to ask all women because a lot of us, when we get passionate about something, will work really, really hard. 
and not give ourselves a break and then go through burnout or whatever. So how do you juggle your work and your life and your family? Sometimes, Jules, I am really bad at it. So it's part of <laughs> oh, my I new... I think that makes you human. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, part of my New Year's resolution. But, uh, no, look, um, I guess what I've done, if I take a, a long-term view, is I did, as I said earlier, I took some time out to be a parent. And that was not just obviously a, on a daily basis, but that was a real chunk of time where I couldn't do that. But... Having said that, that was where I took on my board roles. Right. So Which I have given you a career now. So Yeah, and so I was juggling parenting and board roles. I wasn't necessarily uh, doing – I did a little bit of consulting work in there but not a whole lot. But I wasn't trying to hold down a job at the same time as having both of those responsibilities uh, as well. Very lucky of you. I would love to have had that. But what about yeah. now? I mean, do you take weekends off, uh, evenings, sacrosanct? What? How do you make absolutely. it work? So now, uh, definitely getting away uh, and out into the natural environment is a big thing for me. Uh, ah, <coughs> excuse lovely. me. One of the other things, Jules, is part of my story, and because it's not, I don't call it career related, but spend a lot of time actually travelling, uh, camping around and four-wheel driving around Australia. Oh, so wow. when the kids were younger, um, that was something that we prioritised because you've only got a small window of opportunity. I'm very pleased that we did that at a time where, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you could actually travel. Uh, <laughs> unbeknownst to us that we, you know, it's, it's difficult coming. to do. Yeah. But um, so getting away camping uh, out, actually out in the natural environment is something that really helps me to recharge and, and so exercise often, as well. How often would you do that then, Stacey? How often do you go away? I mean, do you do it sort of every second weekend it's or probably, something? No, it's, it wouldn't be that much. It's probably once a month oh, maybe. Okay. So um, really again, good. it's been disrupted over the yes, last, of course. you know, so it's it's sort of hard to – but let's say it's it, – Oh, maybe once every six weeks, maybe. Um, but generally on long weekends, uh, sort of suits a bit better and when the kids are available. But now the kids are older, we've got some more commitments. So I'm doing things more like uh, getting out for walks, uh, yep. catching up with friends, you know, having that social time as well and really just being able to uh, have a bit of, not just the social time but also my time and excuse me my yoga teacher just before COVID moved and she used to live just up the road and I used to do yoga there so I still haven't found a new (laughs) replacement for her but that's uh, on the cards for this year so I loved doing yoga and uh, yeah just uh, I suppose a few different things yeah but in terms of week to week there's no sort of set Right, I work nine to five. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about family. It's kind of more movable feast. Yeah, for me, of- for me, I'm not strict on routine. Yeah. I've never had right. a routine. Um, so that probably is very scary for some people, but I guess I tend to, it comes back a little bit to that intuitive thing. I sort yeah. of ebb and flow a little bit with the energy and what's going on, what kids needs, uh, when I have certain uh, times for work or maybe I've allocated uh, certain uh, times. So I work around, 
I work things around everyone else yeah, uh, okay. generally and oh. and my work commitments. And, and Sorry, it's as just you're be- saying that, I'm going, every woman says, I work around everyone else. I mean, <laughs> do you think the blokes ever say, oh, yeah, I work around everyone else in my family? No. But anyway, I'm just having a quiet giggle about it. Um, no, you're I- correct, though. Very true. <laughs> okay, one last question is, and this is a really weird one, but is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing with us? Oh, a quirky fact. Can be anything. I, there will be. I just have to think of it, Jules. Uh, a quirky fact. It can, look, I'll, I'll give, while you're thinking, I'll give you some examples of things. So I've heard everything from I was the first person on Graham Norton's red chair to some woman who said I don't have a belly button. To, oh. I know, to somebody else that said I was a synchronised swimmer when I was younger. So, or, and, and somebody else said I like singing in the shower, so it really doesn't matter. Just something a bit different about you. So, Jules, what you won't know, we haven't met face-to-face. No. We've met online because that's how the world has been. But, uh, you know, sitting online, you can't tell that I'm actually under five foot tall. Oh, my goodness, are you? Yes. Yes. A little pocket rocket. Well, there you go. There's a little <laughs> thing I didn't know at all. And yeah. uh, and I'm five foot, nearly five foot ten, so there would be quite a big difference <laughs> if we were face to face. Let's just sit down go. when we catch up, Jules. Yeah, we will. <laughs> oh, look, I have all, you know, you always want what you don't have, don't you? I grew up being so tall and I remember all my life I just wanted a guy to call me cute. <laughs> because you never get and I remember saying that my grandfather saying you're not cute but you're a very handsome woman and I went yeah oh. that's not really doing it for me <laughs> uh you know good old-fashioned you know 90 year olds but oh. I bet you got cute all the time you see so there you go yes yes and even Jules my kids are now bigger than me and they even call me cute <laughs> so that's nice I'll take it you know take yep, what take I can from there as I get can. older <laughs> Uh, one last question. is: uh, I don't know whether you use your phone for business at all, but have you got an app on your phone that's that's not a really well-known one that you want to tell us about or not really? No, look, I use most things in its simplest format uh, because uh, I guess, again, my focus is keeping things simple. Simple, yeah. And uh, I, I do get accused of not being on social media enough, <coughs> excuse me, but that's because I'm I'm often too busy uh, delivering the work, delivering my work, but, you know, being present with my family and, you know, taking that time out for me and, and, you know, it's, I just think that's one of the biggest things that as, uh, you know, working parents or the next generation, if we can impart that with our, um, you know, our friends and family that yes, just, you know, what time you do have with others, make it really count. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is the perfect, perfect ending for our conversation. So if anyone wants to get hold of you, we've said they can buy the book from your website. Just tell everyone your website again. It's boardpresence.com.au. Great name, by the way. Um, If they, I don't know, for some reason can't get onto your website, what other way do you prefer people to contact you? I mean, are you on social at all? Do you do LinkedIn, I Facebook? Am. Yes, or look, I am there. Uh, you'll just bit. find it. It's fairly brief. Uh, uh, 
But uh, we're just about to go under a review with the website. So there could be a time where it could be a little bit icky. Uh, but uh, I am on LinkedIn yep. uh, as my name and also as the business page. Yep. Uh, but also Facebook and Insta, but otherwise email, which is Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y at boardpresence.com.au. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Stacey. This has been an absolute delight and I can't wait to share your story. Thanks, Jules. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.